Morning. So I had about 24 hours head start on this. No slides for those of you watching online. I have a stack of books. I'm just going to read out of those books a couple of times. So we'll try and make it work. It's good to see you all here. It's good that you can hear us online. My apologies. Forgot to turn on the audio to the live stream before we checked. So you missed a couple of things at the beginning. We'll put those in the comments just so you can see what Vanessa was saying or if you can try and read lip through masks. Um, that's also pretty impressive just by the, the motion of things going up and down. You could probably put it together. But if not, we'll draw it out for you. Let's, uh, let's pray as we get started this morning. Father God, uh, it is your Sabbath. And God, on this day, uh, there are many reasons to believe that peace is not with us. But God, we know that you are with us. We know that you are good. And therefore, peace is with us as well. We ask you to draw near in this moment as we hold fast to your word. And we want to consider today what it means to be faithful. Help us to walk on this journey as we rest in you today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So, uh, as I was reading through... Hebrews in preparation for the spot this, this afternoon. Shout out to all the teens watching right now. Uh, there will be a quiz at 11.30, so be ready for that. Uh, for the rest of you, uh, I, kind of st I, I take this approach now that I've taught the journey, and so the journey has taught me a lot on how to study books of the Bible in that um, that group of people in the community room that meet have high expectations. Like, you better know your book. You only get one book, know that book. And so today, as we're reading through this section of Hebrews, I wanted to do due diligence to the actual book and not just read this uh, section that Kevin brought to us, which was beautifully read. Um, let's go back in time a little bit. Let's talk about the book of Hebrews in general, knowing that I'm going to skip the first nine chapters in order to go into the 10th chapter. But uh, your, I don't want to say homework. Homework has like a, a bad taste. Plus, I got Jackson and Molly here who are just about done with Thanksgiving break, and I feel like homework, and you know, my wife now who's a teacher in prepping curriculum, I feel like there's a level of PTSD that comes with that. So not homework, but work that you can do when not at church. Is that fair? Good. Okay. I didn't see Jackson start twitching, so I feel like I'm onto something. So let's do a little bit of background knowing that um, your your Sabbath study can be the first nine chapters. We don't know the author of Hebrews, all right? So most people will attribute it to Paul, but there's just no functional way this book can be written by Paul because he writes differently all of a sudden. And if it was Paul, he has switched a lot of things and used different pronouns and built different words. So the likelihood that Paul wrote, Paul, uh, wrote Hebrews is pretty slim, but we do know a lot about what the author knows and we know who he knows, and we know a lot about where he's been. He makes specific references to certain places like Italy. He seems to have an affinity for people in prison, so there's a good chance that while he was hanging out with Timothy, he was also in prison. So they probably knew Paul, um, but it, this person also, much like Paul, does not have a first-hand account of Jesus. He's got a second-hand account, so we're dealing with somebody who's talking about the centrality of Christianity without truly knowing the Christ. He has a relationship with God, but he does not know Jesus personally. And he's done a good job on this one. Most scholars will agree that this is the, one of the most stylistically polished books in the Bible. And he does a ton of work with allegory. He uses a ton of imagery. They call him a master of metaphor in some of the commentaries I read. He takes a lot of allusions to the Old Testament and blends them into the New Testament. And he builds this book that is based around an argument. And the argument is this. It is the book of Hebrews, which means he is writing to Jewish Christians. People who used to be Jewish converted to Christianity, and it is now his job to argue that they stay in their Christian faith. And right now, it's tough for them, just like it might be tough for us today. Uh, the book itself uh, is not necessarily a letter, because it doesn't have an introduction. It doesn't start with like greetings, like most of Paul's letters do. The epistles usually start with like a breakdown of like, it has been many months, many years since I have seen you. I hope that you're well. Say hello to so-and-so and make sure you uh, high five what's his name. That does not happen in this book. It is more like a sermon. And so the book of Hebrews is a sermonic epistle 
because it ends with say goodbye to everybody, say hey to everybody, I gotta go, but keep these words with you and hope that they're everlasting. And so these Jewish Christians who are facing persecution, they're going through trials, are being uh, contacted by an author who is here to call them to persevere. You're going through something right now, but persevere. The call is for endurance. Not returning to what they used to know, but staying in the path that they're currently on to remain faithful, to stay grounded in this truth that they're now aware of. It is written to be uh, a, a Christian book of instruction through a singular sermon in order to get a group of people, and in this case, one of the things we know they're going through is that they were going to church for a long time, they were going to prayer meeting for a long time, and then they stopped going. And so they're no longer a part of this community. They were bound together, things were going well, whoever this author was, assuming helped build that church, helped build the community, but now they're starting to drift apart. And so his call is to bring them back together, to call attention to the fact that they need to draw closer to one another. And the purpose of this book is a debate. And the debate uh, has a bunch of, of cursory words here like better, more, and greater, because he is trying to prove that what they're in now is better than what they were in before, that they will receive more in the faith that they have now than the faith they had then, and that they will have a greater relationship with the Christ who is with them than the God they have worshipped before. As a matter of fact, the words better, more, and greater exist 25 times in the book of Hebrew. So in this sermon, he is challenging the reader to work through this by showing in the first nine chapters, which is why in your Sabbath studies, go read the first nine chapters. I'm giving you the culmination of the argument in chapter 10. The first nine is just laying out the facts. I wanna give you this, I wanna give you this, I wanna give you this, and now that I've proven this, I can slam this thing home in chapter 10. So don't skip first nine chapters. I read through them, I don't have time to go through them with you, you should go through them anyways. They're good for you. It's a great book. It's a ton of fun to read. It might just be me. I think in metaphor. I usually speak in allegories. So this book is right up my alley because it's like, oh, I get what he was saying. It's like the SAT questions where it's like, if this is the this, then this is the blank. Guy who wrote Hebrews, big into the SATs, I'm sure. So his debate tactics reframe a picture of God and the God that they know, or at least that the Hebrews knew, was a God in the Old Testament that was very distant. God in the Old Testament is considered holy and separate. We read through stories, I, I preached a couple of sermons during our Exodus series about how Moses goes up on the mountain, but nobody else is allowed to go up there. And if anybody touches the mountain, what happens to them? Death. You know, as you do when you touch a mountain you're not supposed to. I feel like there's like some lesson in there that I forgot to preach about hiking on the Sabbath. Like don't go up Mount Sanitas until you've gone to church first. I don't think that's in scripture, but it seems like it could be, or at least that's what Moses was trying to get at. This is not the same God though. This is not holy and separate God. This is not distant God. This is not uh, a priest only connection as what happens in the Old Testament where you're allowed to go into this most holy place, but only if you're the most high priest and you can only really go in there once per year. And if you bring any form of like false heart or false testimony, God will kill you inside of the, of the most holy place. And that's why they put a rope around the priest when they, before they went in and a bell. And if the bell stopped ringing at any point, usually there was a thud attached to it. And then they would just drag him out and be like, whoops, we got the wrong guy. The word of the Lord. Read through Exodus as well. When you're done with Hebrews, go back to Exodus. Ton of fun, super fun. This guy was judgmental. This God was dangerous. This God had a mean streak. This is not the book of Hebrews, God. This is not the Old, the Old Testament God. It is the New Testament God. And for people who grew up believing that the Old Testament God was the God, this New Testament God is a good reason to debate into the, the subject. In that this New Testament God does not bring with him any fear. He is approachable. Not only approachable, it says you can approach this God in boldness. And the question becomes why? Why all of a sudden is the author of Hebrews so interested in making this new God more attainable to the people around him? And more importantly, how? How has this God that we knew for so long somehow softened into this God that we know now? 
And we see that in uh, Hebrews 10, when we read through verses 19 through 25. My heading here in the New Revised Standard Version says a call to persevere. I'd ask you what your version say. I'd tell you to pull the Bible out of the pew backs in front of you, but we took those out. They don't exist anymore because we were pretty concerned about passing things on uh, that are COVID related. But does anybody have their digital version? Patty, what do you have? When your, your section title, when you get to Hebrews 10, what's your heading? Hold fast your confession. Hold fast your confession. What version are you reading? Uh, New, King James. New King James. Awesome. So you're taking a, uh, we're going to get there. So I want you to hold on to your title. I'll hold on to my title. Who else is holding something else? Anybody have a different version? What do you have, Matt? And what's it say? The perfect sacrifice? That's awesome. What's the version again? Man, I like that a lot. Peter, what do you have? The new and living way? Man, this is really interesting. We're pulling a ton of sections out of those pieces. Those are all accurate to the section. It's just interesting which part is the most important part. The ESV, the one that would be in your pew back, says the full assurance of faith. And all of these point towards a confidence, this boldness that the Hebrew author is talking about here, telling people this God is approachable. And because he's approachable in these first nine chapters that I've already proven to you, now I can say, here's where your confidence lies. I want you to pay close attention as we read through. Um, there are a ton of sections that are present active verbs currently owning them, not something that will happen in the future, not something that happened in the past, something you presently actively have now. I have here in, uh, starting of verse 19, therefore, my friend, since we have confidence, not since we will have confidence, not since we had confidence in the past, but since we have present active confidence to enter the sanctuary by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way, which is where Peter's section comes from, um, he has opened through us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have, present, active, a great priest over the house of God, let us approach with a true heart in full assurance of faith, which gets closer to somebody else's section, or at least that's the ESB section, um, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast. Somebody had to hold fast, right? Patty had to hold fast. So this holding fast, the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who has promised is faithful. And let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. There's that future tense, there's that thing that's coming, but the thing that's coming isn't a problem because of the thing you currently have, present, active. Super important as you read through the rest of the section. You'll see present, active come through and come true in all of these sections, or else that full assurance of faith doesn't really exist. It's more of like a, an IOU, like you will be confident at some point, so don't worry about it. No, it's be confident now. You have that faith now. God is with you now, and therefore, we can do all of these things. It's kind of like a superhero origin story. You've already been bit by the radioactive spider, so now you can jump off of that building, know that the web will come out of your wrist, that you'll swing and, you know, swing around. I, don't, I wish I was, I wish I could was swinging around. That would be just so awesome. The new PS5 came out and the new game came out with it. And you just watching these scenes of this guy flipping and spinning around the city. How cool would that be? I don't have that present active. I hope to have that future. My wife doesn't, but just wearing a unitard and swinging around New York just seems like so much fun. So let's go into the exhortations. There are three exhortations, some of which you've already heard, in that there are three plot points that start in verse 22, verse 23, and verse 24. They all start the same way. They all start with let us. And so let us, uh, in this case, an exhortation. Anybody use exhortation in their regular, like, vernacular? Like, the other day I was exhorting. No? Just me? Okay. So uh, to exhort... Uh, by definition, is to emphatically urge someone to do something. And so the, in these sections, uh, read them with all caps. So pretend as if all caps lock is on and you're reading this section. That is the Hebrew author urging you to do something. Your ears should perk up. The author is telling you, listen up. This is for you. 
And so we see in here the let us approach at the start of 22. We see the let us hold fast in verse 23. And in 24, it says, and let us consider. These three exhortations are pushing you to do all three of these things, which is very interesting because the author of Hebrews does something here that might make some people uncomfortable, but because he knows his audience, he can get away with it. He does this whole thing of like, God has already done these things so that you can have them presently. There's nothing else for you to do. You can't earn it anymore. There's not any more grace to be given. It is already yours. Now, that being said, here's what you're doing. And it's just like, wait a second. I thought it was done. I thought things that happened in the past gave me the confidence now so I don't have to do anything else. But he knows his audience. And his Jewish audience needs something to do. Does that sound familiar? There's no real way, like, especially with a mask, like, to do an aside to Matt. Like, sounds like an Adventist. Sounds like us. It sounds like, yeah, God has done everything we need. Amen. But what do I get to do? What's my role? I need to do, I feel like I owe you something. Can I, can I contribute? Maybe we could, we, could, we could half the check. You'd pay half, I'll pay the other half. I just, I don't, I feel bad. I feel bad. But this is that reality that the Hebrews and the Adventists alike we need something to do. And this author gives us that. So it's like, oh, whew. <sighs> I have a part. I, I, get to, I get to play a role in this story. And so he gives us a task. Our eagerness to say, put me in, coach. Coach of the Hebrews is putting us in. And so while this is a referendum proving that God has already done it, here is what you can do. The author of Hebrews actually gives us the clearance to play a part in this. And the first one is, Draw near. That's it. Just come close. See what I've already done. Just get close enough that you put eyes on it, which is why we're not reading the first nine chapters of Hebrews. You are. Because it's not my job to tell you what Scripture says, and I'm not here to tell you the whole story of the Bible. I'm here to get you close. So come close. Not to me, to the Scriptures. I'm, I'm just looking at it like you're looking at it. I'm just giving you the target of what to look at. So come close. Step number two, hold fast. If you're going to get close, don't run off. Stay. Hold on to this thing. It is important for you to keep a grip on it. And the third one is consider. That's it. That's the thing we get to do. You might think to yourself, it's no mission trip. I didn't build a house in Mexico. I didn't help clean up after a flood. No, those things are not required. They're fun. They're good. To go out and do good things is a good thing. This is not to dissuade you from doing good things. But if you want to do something that is good for your faith, do these three things. Get close. Once you get close, hold on to what you see. And then consider what you're seeing and have it change the way you think. Consider. This is that cerebral part. Again, an aside to Matt, this sounds like an Adventist thing because it's the truth, right? It's the thing we get to hold on to up here. It was all of that work. We got close to the truth. We held on to the truth. We memorized all 28 of our fundamental beliefs, right? Let's all recite them together. For everybody online, they're doing it. They're doing it right now. It's just you can't hear them because they're not mic'd. Or our 10, 10 commandments, right? Everybody knows the 10 commandments in order? Thou shalt, see, they're doing it again. It's amazing. You guys should see this online. You can't, but it's, it's all happening. We're all reciting the Ten Commandments. We got close. We're holding fast. And now consider, think about what this is going to do to change you. You're looking for a way to get in the game. That's the way to do it because the rest of the game has already been played. Now, I want you to have a visual on this one, not just like, I don't want to do the full Adventist thing, which is I'll tell you the right thing to do and then you clamp it down, and then you just hold on to it, and then that's what you hold on to for the rest of the week. This is not that. The Hebrews were good at this. The Adventists are good at this. But this is more of a heart thing. This is not a head thing. And so I want to show you something. Vanessa's got this first video. Um, when you approach God, and you're going to actually come close to this God who is now approachable and not more about the law, not more about the legal system, you don't do it like us. 
you do it more like, have you seen those military homecoming videos? But not the ones with the, the humans, the ones with the dogs. This is that. Take a look. Time article where they said that uh, Jesus is more like five foot ten. I feel like that last one is me, just like the Great Dane. I'm meeting Jesus for the first time. More often than not, humans we think about this like you know, what will I do when I see Jesus first? Like there's a Casting Crown song about it. Are you singing? Are you dancing? Are you doing all these other things? I feel like I'm gonna be more like that Great Dane and just over. <laughs> Finally, yes. Oh, so excited. Just. I don't know that I'll lick his face, but I feel like the amount of love will cover him like the dog drool, that little one that wouldn't stop whimpering. That's drawing close. Not, not getting socially distant close. Not getting that like appropriate, it's Jesus, so I don't want to get too familiar. I mean, he's my personal savior, but respect, right? That's this. And I feel like dogs get that. And dogs are here to teach us that lesson as well. These military people coming home, seeing their animals that they haven't seen forever, that is what the Bible says is true joy. It's this pure heart. It is coming through and not wasting a single second. It's the thing we've been racing towards, so share it, celebrate it in this full assurance of faith. I can't even imagine how many days, how many nights those dogs sat by the door waiting for someone to come home with the hope that they were actually going to do it. The full assurance of faith. I knew you were coming home. And with hearts sprinkled clean, bodies washed with pure water, covered in dog drool. That is what the scriptures are talking about. I know my mom is watching today too, so I feel like that grossed her out because the idea of dog lick just freaks her out. But that's, this is scripture, people. We're talking about the Bible. This is what it means to draw close. Point number two, hold fast. And again, this is not a mental thing. This is not clamp it down, know those 28. Like I said, everybody at home, everyone started reciting the 28 fundamental beliefs. They just clamped on it. They held fast to it. But for us, it's not up here. It's here again. I have another visual. You ever seen those military homecoming videos? But not the dog ones? Have you seen the ones with the kids? Yeah, I got another one for you. Christmas trees for military families in need. And they gave over 16,000 trees this year. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Really great. And that's close to your heart because your brother, Stephen, is in the U.S. Army. He is. He just got back from Iraq. He was there for a year. Oh. And, yeah. So, have you been able to see him yet? No, not yet, because oh. I was in Canada when he got back. So oh. I'll see him this Christmas, and oh, it's something really close to my heart. I'm so he's really lucky. Gone.
that now. I had to watch that like 20 times to desensitize myself to it so that I didn't start crying, but I feel like I'm looking at my wife and that's not helping. But Kevin too, here, I see Kiri and Sean in those moments and I think about like what it, them being apart and then coming back together. There's something so beautiful about that. Like that look that she gives when that back door slams open. Just the embrace. When it talks about holding fast, that's that, Peter. I mean, it, it's a hug to squeeze the life out of you, to just remind you that I love you and I miss you. You can hear it. Their mics bump up against each other. But if you listen to it later, um, you can hear him saying, I love you. I missed you. And I'm back. I'm, I'm back. That's this. That's that conversation. I, I'm going to do one more. Vanessa, you do one more. This one gets me every time. This little kid I feel like is me. I feel like it's going to look like when I see Jesus. It's going to look like this. You ready to go home? Yes. Yeah. Come on. Come on. Come here. What's up, buddy? Hey, Dad! Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, buddy. I missed you too. I missed you a lot. Yeah. Can I have a kiss? No. Mm. <laughs> I love it. Hey, Dad. I missed you. I missed you too, buddy. I missed you a lot. That, that is hold fast. That is cling to hope. That is being reminded that he is coming home again soon because the one who promised is faithful. It's not up here. It's right here. It's got to kick you right in the chest. Now, Sermon Writing 101, for any of my homiletics professors who are watching this, I know rule one is don't use anything emotionally manipulative in your sermons because it will cause people to make decisions while they're unstable. This is the book of Hebrews, okay? This is a debate, and I'm trying to win. I'm trying to win to show you that your relationship with Jesus is better than everything else. So I will stop at nothing. And the first nine chapters prove all of these things to be true. There was a God who was, there is a God who is, and there's a God who will come again. And when that happens, hold fast, draw close, and then consider how it will change your life. This book is designed to coerce. This book is designed to persuade and comparing two things to determine which is better. And I am here to say, call it emotional manipulation if you want. That is your relationship with Jesus. That's what it is meant to be. It is meant to be something that causes you to feel this longing, this need, this desire. And when you finally have that reunion, that it feels just like this. And the reality is any other relationship doesn't. So let's talk more about this exposure to truth. Let's talk about the good news of what is to come. Because if you are to persevere in faith, then that's the final result. Through trials, through tribulations, that's what we're moving towards. And the stark reality check for us sitting here is there's a reason why the book of Hebrews was written to begin with. And it's because something broke. Something broke in Hebrews then, and I'm here to say something broke in Boulder now. And the something that is broken is that we've been thrown off a bit, right? This is odd. I'm wearing this. You're sitting there. We're not singing. There's a lot of pieces missing. Not everyone is here. There are more people watching online than there are sitting in this sanctuary. That's not the way it used to be. But it's the way it is now. And something's been thrown off. Our routines have been interrupted. Our habits have been altered. Our plans have changed. Barriers have separated us from one another. And somewhere along the way, between the way it was and the way it is, we have forgotten something that we were supposed to remember. We've been thrown off course, and we're getting distracted by these new surroundings. And it's easy to do because it's all we're talking about, it's all we see, it's all we think about, it's the thing that keeps us awake at night, it's the thing that makes us nervous about people coming over for Thanksgiving or what's gonna happen in Christmas and what about this vaccine and what does this have to do with politics and when will it all end? We're distracted, I'm distracted. I'm not outside of the story, I'm with you in this story, trying to figure out how to adapt. 
And because we've been thrown off course, new habits are starting to build. Our altered routines are becoming regular practices. While we are asked to stay distant from one another, to be steadfast in our patience with this quarantine, for those of us who followed it, we got really good at it. We got to the point where we feel like we don't necessarily need it. It's a little bit easier to stay away. Masks have become normal. Everybody remember at the beginning, seven, eight months ago, where it just felt like I'm never gonna put a muzzle on a dog anymore because now I get it. Now this is normal. I figured out how to do it. It's not comfortable, but right now I have a mask strapped to my face and a mic strapped behind my mask and it's just normal. Kinsley, you're wearing glasses on top of all of that. Like we're doubling and tripling down and we're getting good at it. And because it's hard to stay away and because Thanksgiving just happened, some of us weren't able to keep that distance and unfortunately we're finding ourselves on the razor's edge of another mandated quarantine. Post-holiday figures are saying that numbers are gonna go up, that the hospitals are gonna be over inundated and that this new dial that reads level purple is imminent. Tough times lie ahead for us here in Boulder, for those of us in Denver, we're about to go on lockdown again, or at least that's what the numbers say. Now let me say this, this is not a political message, all right? This is not a sermon to shame, this is not a sermon to demean. This is not a message about fear, and this is certainly not here to promote any agenda. But it is a conversation to call to action. It's a debate, it's an argument, and the call to action is of a different sort because if this thing that is coming is really coming, we can look at it one of two ways. We can look at it as a bad thing that is on its way, or we can look at it as a potential for good news. And good news is in the gospel good news, not good news is in, yay, I get to go inside. Good news is in the gospel still runs through this story. And in order for us to find it, we've gotta go searching for it. So despite the impending order, let me begin with this. There is still hope. There is still hope. Quarantine will not be without challenges, but those challenges are not to outweigh the reality of truth which, in which our confidence lies. Hebrews 10 talks about this confidence that lies within us. This order will strip us of the ability to go out, to be at certain places, to be with certain people, but it does not restrict our foundations it will bring us back to them. But on those foundations, we will rebuild. It's a troubling pill to swallow, but still there is hope. And to that, I say amen. Let it be so. A return to our foundations provides us an opportunity to show that the message in Hebrews is as true then as it is now. A return to our foundations gives us an opportunity in the space to be reminded of something that we have once forgotten. This is a call to persevere. And here's the good news. You're built for it. You are 100% built for it. The obvious reason is this. This is not our first quarantine. We remember the last quarantine. We've been through this. We know what to expect this time. But ask yourself, how will this time in quarantine be different from the last one? For me, I spent the entire time being afraid being concerned, being worried, glued to a TV, trying to find out the news, wondering when it was gonna end. And the hard thing is, if we're gonna do it differently this time, we're gonna have to do things in an unsafe manner because perseverance is unsafe. This is not a call for political or public disobedience. It is to say unsafe in that we're gonna have to lean into it this time instead of careen out of it to hope that it doesn't exist, to pretend like it's not there, we're gonna to need to lean into this one in order to make the best of what we have. Perseverance isn't safe, but it is driven by passion. So ask yourself, what will be the thing that drives you to persevere this time? Will it be politics? Are you gonna come out of this next quarantine understanding politics, the electoral college? You'll know everything there is about the transition team. We'll know what Trump will do at the end and what Biden will do at the beginning. You'll stay up to date on all of the things that happen in the news. If you so choose, politics can be your drive. Or how about anger? Anybody wanna come out of this angry? Spend all your time on Facebook, polluting it with negativity, 
pointing fingers, being mad about, I can't do this, they won't let me do this, I can't believe that. If you want, this quarantine can be about your anger. About physical activity. Anybody want to come out of this just chiseled? Yeah, Kinsley, that's all right. I appreciate your honesty. If you get a chance, follow Laura Klein on Facebook. Shout out to Laura, who's just like making me regret every decision I made on Thanksgiving. Like, she's got these before and after pictures. It's crazy. Shout out to Laura. Thanks for doing your thing and showing us that there's hope in this quarantine. If you want, you can come out of this physically fit. How about work? You want to throw yourself into work? Just get ahead of everything? Peter, I know. We love work. Nothing better than work. Came back from a vacation. Why not just like undo that tan by going inside and just working until your skin is pale again and we're just angry and upset and ahead of the schedule. Our bosses will be so happy with this. Anybody want to get into baking this time? There's still flour on the shelves for now. Get yourself a sourdough order. Oh, it's going to be so great. If you want, bread can be the thing. Or maybe it's your faith. Somebody want to come out of this more faithful, closer to God, having a better relationship with Jesus? The reality is this. None of these options are exclusive. You can do more than one. You can come out of this cut, probably not eating bread, and closer to Jesus. You can still get your work done, you can get ahead on your schoolwork, and you can stay close to God. But you get to decide the order. You get to decide which one takes precedence. And it's completely up to you, because the reality is we won't be watching anymore. There's no monitoring. We're not holding each other accountable the same way. The reality is the fruits of your labor will be evident once we come back in. So what are you going to spend your time doing? This time where we're called to be socially distanced from one another is not a call to be socially distant from God, which is what the author of Hebrews is saying. It used to be that way. We were told to stay far away. But now is the time to draw close. And you've got the time. So do it. Hold fast to that faith, to that reality. Build it up. Read those first nine sections in the book of Hebrews. You're here to draw close in order to fortify your faith. But it starts with a call. And the question is, do you hear it? Do you hear God calling you today? I'm going to go out on a limb, and I'm willing to say that most of you do hear it. Most of you do hear the call for no other reason than this. Most of you listening are Adventists, both here and watching online. Which leads me to my second reason why I think we're going to be okay through this one. Why you're built to last through this quarantine. And the reality is, your Adventist identity has been practicing setting aside time as a weekly habit that you've been forming as you understand the Sabbath. You're good at this. You're doing it now. You're in this place taking some time to rest you regularly restrict your activity. You restrain time for your personal habits. You set aside your visits to places. You suspend your work to spend it resting. You're good at this. You've been preparing for this your whole life. You just didn't know it. This quarantine is not any different than what you're doing now. It's just you get longer to do it. Amen. This is our game. This is the thing we're excited about. I would love to get up at this point and walk around and like gesture wildly, but uh, this is also a call that if anybody at home would like to be a part of our live stream team, no one's running the cameras right now, so I have to stay right here to stay in this frame. So let me gesture wildly from here. We have been trying to get our faith to the forefront of the public square forever. We bite and scratch and claw. We just wish Jesus would be at the center of what is going on. People, it's now. There are a bunch of people who are not sure what is going on. You do. You already get this. You have already been working to move your schedules, to move your time, to change your week, to build your habits, to stop. Stop. 
and rest. And the world is on a Sabbath, and they have no idea what's happening. None. They're like many of you. I didn't grow up Adventist, but let me look at my younger people. Emmanuel, my guy. Sabbath. You're doing all, you're watching TV, right? No? But at what time do you get to watch TV? As soon as the sun goes down, boom, right? Oh, finally, yes. I feel like kids love uh, daylight savings because it changes the hour, and now it's like it goes dark at 5 o'clock, and it's like, oh, yes, I don't have to wait till 6 to watch my shows, play my video games, flip on my Switch, fire up the new PS5. Oh, that's the entire world right now. They can't wait for this to be over. They cannot wait because they're not used to the sun staying up this long, to restricting their time to these 24 hours. This is one of the darkest eras in modern history. And friends, you are the one holding the light. You know the answer to the question. Like Jeff said last week, the most important question, you not only know the question, you know the answer. Not only that, you know what's going on and you know how to get out of it. While the world struggles to understand what's going on, you hold the missing piece. And I don't mean piece like a puzzle. I mean the shalom, the missing piece in all of this. You have been practicing for this moment your entire life. When the world is told to stop and rest, you know it not as a restriction, but as a Shabbat. Something the world has never needed more in its life is shalom here in this Shabbat. Your faith, the Adventist faith, for the Hebrews, the Jewish Christian faith, your faith has never been this evidently relevant to so many people all at once. Everyone simultaneously is seeking answers to the questions that you possess. Evangelism is taking on a completely new application. How many people have struggled with, I want to talk about my faith, but I don't know how to bring it up? Hands? Anybody? No? Everybody in here has got it. No? Okay, there it is. Just delayed response. People at home? Hands? It's fine. Nobody can see you. I can't even see you. We struggle to bring it up to our friends. We struggle to bring it up to our coworkers and our family. You have a window of opportunity where everyone is going to make the same noise. Have you heard it? Where you think about the quarantine? How's it go? Ugh. There's your invite. Right there. Ugh. I hear you, man. It's crazy, right? Yo, let me talk about this for a second, though. Let me, can I? Because we're, we're both going through it. And I hate it, too. But hey, can I talk to you about this idea of Sabbath? It's crazy. It's this idea where we do this, but we do it on purpose. Once a week. It's changed how I look at the quarantine, actually. It's changed how I've looked at lockdown. It's changed how I have interacted with other people in the sense that what if we take this as an opportunity to finally rest in hopes that we do it more often afterwards instead of store it all up and just take a bunch of Saturdays in a row? This is your opportunity. This is your chance. You are good at answering this because you do it already. That third exhortation in Hebrews 10 talks about the idea of what it means to consider. This window of opportunity we have is your opportunity to consider to share the confidence we have, to confess our hope, and to do what it says in Hebrews 10 and consider how to provoke one another to love and to do good deeds, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, whether you hear the call or not, inevitably the question will arise, how? How? So let's make it easy. Step one. We've been knocked down to our foundations. Now is the time. Evaluate your foundations. You will find it a demanding task to speak about your faith if your personal faith is shaky. This is not a call for perfectionism, all right? Imperfect people are the ones that God chooses and the ones that God uses. But you need a foundation. It's got to start from somewhere. In her song, Bones, Maren Morris uh, wrote the chorus... 
When the bones are good, the rest don't matter. The paint could peel, the glass could shatter. When there ain't a crack in the foundation, I know any storm we're facing will blow right over while we stay put. The house don't fall when the bones are good. Step number two, lean into your community. Do not let the quarantine stifle your creativity here. This order is for social distance, but we live in an age that reaches across distance in ways that are unaffected by a lockdown. And this time around, we know what we're facing, but here's what you need to come up with in order for it to work. You've got to stay in the game, and staying in the game means battling Zoom fatigue. Zoom fatigue, got it? Yep, yep. Fight on, young Christians. Showing up means showing up. It means turning your camera on, on those Zoom calls, when you'd rather just stay hidden, because it's easier, you don't feel like you have to fix your face. You feel like you don't have to make sure you're not making a face when people say something drastic. Be present, be a part of it. When you just wanna hide, call, text. When you hate your phone, anybody hate your phone? Apple's trying to sell me the next 12. I'm still at the eight, and I hate my phone that I don't have yet. I'm sick of it. But being present when you wanna hide away is the only way to fight through it. Because you're the friend in your circles holding the flashlight. And it's getting dark and your tribe is getting scared. Now is not the time to hold out. Now is the time to show up. Because the reality is they're counting on you. We are counting on you. God is counting on you. And quick shout out to the introverts. Where are my introverts at? Say nothing. <laughs> introverts. Friends. I get it. All right? I am one of you. This is draining all of my energy just to do this. But this is what we're saving up all that energy for. All those times you go to hide away, to read a book, to be by yourself... This is what we're using it for. Now is the time to take that energy and throw it out there because your friends, your family, your coworkers listen when you speak up. And they do it because you do so so rarely. Now is the time to speak up. Now is the time to say something. For all of us, introverts, extroverts, showing up is not only one for them, it's also for us, because a faith unused is a faith without function, because faith is meant to be shared. George Knight wrote in his commentary on exploring Hebrews, it says here, Hebrews 10.25 goes on to point out that some of those being addressed were tempted to abandon meeting altogether. For some of them, it may have been discouragement from other church members, but for others, it undoubtedly resulted from a fear of a larger community that was beginning to persecute those identifying with the Christian minority. But such a course of action, Hebrews argues, is wrongheaded. As Jane Moffat notes, any early Christian who attempted to live like a pious particle without the support of the community ran serious risks in an age when there was no public opinion to support him. His isolation, whatever its motive, exposed him to the danger of losing his faith altogether. The same dangers still lurk today. Thus, the admonitions of let us come near, let us hold fast, and let us consider are just as important in the 21st century as they were in the first. This is not the time to back away. This is the time to lean in. Step number three, remember. Remember something that you've long forgotten. In a different book, this one by Samir Samanovich, in his first chapter, it says, Once a year, we take our two young daughters, Ina and Leta, to a cemetery. We visit dead people. We do it while on vacation, usually on a Sabbath, in a town where we can't find a congregation that worships on Saturday. My wife, Vesna, locates the closest cemetery on a map. I prepare a picnic basket, and we put on nice clothes. We look down at the tombstones, the fresh ones, the neglected ones, the well-kept ones, the forgotten ones. Tombs for Roman Catholic nuns, a brave fireman's mausoleum, a Muslim family's gravesite, a poet's tomb. 
The girls notice details of the portraits etched into upright standing marble slabs. They ask about who brings candles and whether or not they can pick the flowers growing around the edges. They run and stop in their tracks to watch a widow kneeling and cleaning the tomb of her late husband. As we ponder the thousands of graves and thousands of cities over thousands of years, our minds struggle to imagine the laughter and tears burned beneath our feet. Inevitably, the four of us wind up walking closely together, both girls settling down, holding our hands. Mom, Dad, what's a cemetery? It's a place where we remember. Remember what? Something we've forgotten since the last time we were at a cemetery. I forgot. What is it, Dad? That life is a gift. Dad, maybe we could also visit a place where people are born? Yes, let's do that. Unfortunately, friends, we are living in a time where we are learning our lesson in a cemetery. And that lesson still remains, that life is a gift. So use yours to bless someone, to remind them of a truth that they've long forgotten. While we're all sitting in the cemetery and counting its growth, next year maybe, maybe we'll get a chance to go to the places where babies are born, but this year we're in the cemetery while we listen. So teach those that are picnicking near you and the tombs around you the lesson that you've learned that you mean to pass on to others, that life is a gift. Do so in hopes that, like you, they too will consider how to provoke one another, to love, to do good deeds, to encourage one another. Because the truth is, the clock is about to start, and when it does, it is a foot race to the finish. A vaccine is on the way, amen. And when it arrives, this global Sabbath comes to a close. And with it comes a rush to return to the way it used to be. This world is not designed to stay this slow. The desire to chase, to advance, to achieve, to win, to execute, to perform, to earn, to gain, to clinch, to seize, to consume, will return. There is still time to enter the race and establish a new paradigm in a world that so desperately needs it. One that doesn't work to have confidence, but has faith that the work has already been finished. One that doesn't fight to knock down walls, but rests in knowing that the barriers have been opened up for us already. One that does not glorify the attempts to be great over the houses we reside within, but worships the one that is great over the house of God we dwell within. Seize today, this day of rest. Use it to approach the Lord with a true heart. Hold fast to the hope without wavering and consider how to provoke one another to love while using beautiful, wonderful words of life. Because as you see, the day is approaching. So rest now, brothers and sisters, and peace be with you. Because when the dial turns purple, the race begins. Shabbat shalom. <laughs>